is the most difficult thing you have ever done? What is the most difficult thing you have ever done? For each of us, I think, our answers will be different, though some we might find would be the same as our neighbors. Perhaps the most difficult thing you've ever done is had a child, given birth to a child. Perhaps the hardest thing you've ever done is uh, go through an intense period of suffering, a medical issue that has lingered and caused great pain. Perhaps it is something as difficult and for many of us unimaginable as losing a loved one, a spouse, or a child. The most difficult things we have ever done fill us with certain sense of, I don't know, for me it's a sense of loss that comes back with what was, what happened or what's happened. And when we come to the word of God, we must ask ourselves this question again and again and find that Jesus Christ understands and identifies with our answers, whatever they may be. And I ask you this question. What is the most difficult thing God has done? What is the most difficult thing God has done? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. We just... Uh, sang and we prayed together, Edwin read to us from the Psalms. We heard the glories of our God exalted, his power unmatched, his love unrivaled. No one like him, no one greater than him. But yet here in this book and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we encounter the most difficult thing God has ever undertaken, and that is the sending of his one and only begotten son to extend salvation to us who do not deserve it. And I can say it's difficult because Jesus in his human nature admits the difficulty of his task in bringing salvation, the fear of suffering, but yet in the midst of of that, he never wavered in his belief, the true belief, the fact that his work would bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. This morning, as we look at this passage together, I hope you see these things reflected. And I hope you feel the joy and the overwhelming privilege of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing his grace and kindness and sometimes even uh, directness this morning. I have three points for us to walk through together. My first point is, I believe, help my unbelief. 
The second point is Satan kills and destroys. Jesus heals and restores. And my third point is anything is possible for the one who believes. So let's look together at our first point. I believe, help my unbelief. Borrowing the words of this father, bringing his demon-possessed child to the Lord Jesus. This is a prayer that I, I can say with complete honesty, I have prayed hundreds upon hundreds of times. I have struggled in so many ways with my faith and been blessed with more faith but I still struggle. And this morning, I feel even now at a loss because I am coming to uh, or coming through a period of time that has been so difficult for myself, for my family, for my mother, as her mother is ill with cancer and we are on the, the last opportunity treatment now with her and my dear granny and so many other things that have been so difficult, the hardest things we have ever gone through. We see this man going through something. The hardest thing he has ever gone through, dealt with, is his son so infirm that the devil would throw him to the ground. This evil spirit would throw him to the ground and just seek to destroy him. And so we are often wondering... If God has seen our struggles, as has already been said this morning, does God hear our prayers through this cloud of difficulty, unbelief? And the good news this morning, the good news this morning is that this text reassures us. This text promises us That Jesus, as I've said, sees and understands our lack of faith. And he meets us with reassurance. He meets us with reassurance. I want to set the stage here. Edwin preached last week on the transfiguration. And here we have a scene directly following on from the transfiguration. We've seen Jesus tell us who Elijah is. John the Baptist come again. And now we see in Jesus the true and better Moses descending the hill, the mountain of transfiguration. And his face, while not glowing like Moses' face was from Mount Sinai, he comes down, God himself in the flesh. And he is met with an episode of disbelief by the crowds. Just like at Mount Sinai. The people are arguing with each other. And Jesus comes to them and he uses the same language Moses uses when he sees the unbelief of the crowds and even his own disciples and the scribes. He questions their faith. Why? Why does he do this? He seems harsh. He seems unfair almost coming in and and telling them these things. When he says, how long will I bear with you? How long must I keep up with you? Or not keep up with you, put up with you, is what he says. He's reacting this way, strongly, because the root of the issue is the faith of his own disciples. 
we'll see here that there is a lack of faith that runs through this passage. It starts with the crowds and moves to the disciples and then to the boy's father and then back out again. The only one here who in the midst of the most difficult thing he has ever done, the Lord Jesus Christ, maintains his firm faith and conviction in the face of difficulty and trial. And the flow of this conversation moves toward a natural climax. As we look again, the boy and his father enter the scene here in verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. This is as dramatic as it gets. This incredible challenge that for the disciples who follow Jesus everywhere he goes is too hard, but for the Lord is an easy task. The father then calls out to Jesus. Jesus asks him, how long has this been happening? He says, from childhood. It's been this way since he was a boy. From as long back, far back as I can remember. Basically, this has been happening to my son. And he seems to know, this man knows instinctively that his only hope is the Lord Jesus. That's why he's moved towards him. That's why he brings his son here. He says, if there's hope somewhere, it's in this man. But this man doesn't seem to know who Jesus is. He may even think he's just a prophet. In fact, that's what's likely. He believes Jesus is powerful, but he doesn't believe Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't understand fully how great he is. Or perhaps he does believe Jesus is the Son of God, but he doesn't know what Jesus can do or can't do. Is there anything he can't do? No, there's not. This man has come to the only source of hope he has, the true and living God. And he still feels it's not enough. Can you do this? If you can do this? He says, please help him, my son, if you can. Help him if you can. When we are in the midst of the most difficult things we have ever done, we go to the Lord and we pray this way. Don't we? I, if we're honest with ourselves, even just if you've only done it this way one time, you must admit it's true. God, if you can help me, please help me. God, if you can help me, please help me. God, if you could change the situation, if you could resolve this difficult situation, if you could reconcile me to my brother, God, as hard as it is, if you could knit my broken family back together as hard as it is, would you? Could you? No, he says, can you? Is there anything you can do for me? And Jesus' response to this man is so powerful because he asks him, This, he, he sort of answers his question with a question. He says, if I can, anything is possible for the one who believes. 
and we'll come to that more. But how does Jesus minister to this man? How does Jesus minister to us in these times of difficulty? He questions his lack of faith, this man's lack of faith, with a correction and a reassurance. Jesus ministers to this man by offering him a correction and a reassurance. If we look in verse 23, we see it here. Jesus said, I mentioned a second ago, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. The good news is, brothers and sisters, this morning we do not come to the feet of someone like a great great prophet like Moses. Like this man may have imagined Jesus was a great prophet like Moses. But instead, we come to the feet of the God of the universe, the maker of all things. And we ask the question, if you are able. And I want you to be encouraged this morning, and make no, no mistake about it, that Christ can accomplish the deliverance of this child from this demon because they are under His authority. This morning, if you are here and you feel that you cannot be delivered from whatever it is you are facing, an addiction, a sin, a struggle, I want to say that through Jesus Christ there is deliverance. It does not always look like what we expect, but it is always there and always present. Christ always comes to help His people. And this brings me to verse 24. Everything here, again, it's building, it's building, it's going up and up and up. And we come to the pinnacle of this conversation. And the Lord is met with these words from this boy's father. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe you can do it. But I don't believe you you can do it, basically. I believe you're able, but help me believe you're able. God, I believe you can deliver me from my addiction. Help me believe that's true. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. The solution to Jesus' harsh rebuke of the crowd in this passage and of this man and even his disciples is not frustration with Jesus or anger with Jesus because he's being unfair. The solution, brothers and sisters, is to fall down in prayer and ask that God grow our faith. Ask that God grow our faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Bring me to my second point here. This brings me here to my second point. Satan kills and destroys. Jesus heals and restores. What is wrong with this child? What is the source of his problem? He's been possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And this has been happening for a long time. The demon brings on seizures. He tries to kill the boy by throwing him into fire and water. It's horrible. It's horrible. What is this demon's goal? What is the devil's ultimate goal with this child? It's to destroy him. It's to destroy him. And he has not been successful. Why? Because God is about to show how great he is by delivering this boy from his afflictions. Jesus' goal is completely opposite to that of this demon. He aims to bring deliverance. He aims to bring salvation and healing. When Jesus is asked to help, he helps. When the boy's father cries out, he answers. 
he commands the spirit to leave the boy. And I love this reaction because the spirit, right, it, this is sort of a, a fun narrative thing here, but the spirit causes two problems for this child, among others, aside from the seizures. He causes him to be deaf and mute. He can't hear and he can't speak. And when the Lord Jesus Christ tells the demon to come out, how does the demon respond? It hears what he says and he screams. <laughs> it's not that the demon can't do these things, but it's the affliction he's bringing on someone else. And Jesus removes it and brings, we could even say, justice here. And then we see Jesus's Sorry, the result of what Jesus has done in healing, the boy falls to the ground as if he is dead. It's as if he is dead. And this mirrors what happens in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter who dies. And he comes in and the girl is there on the bed. She's dead. This boy is now here on the ground as dead. The Lord Jesus comes in. He takes him by the hand and he gently raises him up to stand. He gently raises him by the hand. He restores him. He raises him up as from the dead. And with the end of what was read by Cynthia this morning, we see this. The reason this is here is because Jesus is about to tell his disciples again that he will die and on the third day be raised. He will be raised up. Just as Jairus' daughter was raised up by the Lord, just as this boy was rescued and raised up as from the dead, Jesus Christ too will be raised up from the dead. And this father in our story's beloved son was raised up by Jesus, who is God's own beloved son, so that we can say, along with God the Father, at the transfiguration of Jesus, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He has the path of restoration and salvation. There is no other way forward. We are confronted again and again with the Lord Jesus' identity and His kindness. And I want you to be so encouraged. Jesus restores. And the ultimate place of restoration, the ultimate place of salvation, is not in Jesus' healing of illnesses, but it is his healing of our sin-sickened hearts through his death and resurrection. He acts quickly because his time has not yet come. He sees the crowd gather, but his instinct is to move towards those in need. He heals. He restores where the devil seeks to destroy. And I hope that you find that application in your heart this morning. That Christ has raised you up at, from the dead. Where we were once dead in sin. And the trespasses in which you once walked. And now we have been transformed and transferred into the kingdom of God's own beloved son. And this brings me here to my last point. Is anything is possible. For the one who believes. Anything is possible. What does this mean? What does this mean? Start by asking a question. What did the disciples do wrong? Why couldn't they cast out this demon? 
when we have to look no further than what Jesus is telling them here. He is telling us that the disciples have not been praying. What does that mean? If we read through Mark, we will see Jesus call his disciples to prayer. At some point between the start of this gospel and chapter 9, the disciples begin to believe that they can just cast demons out because of who they are. But the Lord Jesus tells them, no, the power to do these things does not come from within you, but comes from God. Their problem is that they did not continue to give themselves in prayer. They believed they could make it on their own. They believed they could do these miracles without help. Jesus says no. But what is Jesus saying here? Is he telling us that whatever we want or whatever we want to accomplish or have will be ours if we have faith? I'm going to shock you and tell you yes. He is. He is saying that. He is saying that. But what he means depends on your definition of anything. Anything. We know it doesn't mean everything we want. But we find, again, that even as I say that, it is what he's saying. All deliverance, salvation, healing come from God because God alone deserves all the glory. You will find anything is possible. But your desires as you pray for these things are transformed. Your desires are transformed. Here, anything is possible for the one who believes. But the one who believes and prays truly understanding the gospel, will receive exactly what they asked for, just as this man received what he asked for. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief so God gives him faith. Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. And God forgives us. Lord, make me more like your son, Jesus Christ. And he does it. These are the things that are possible. And when we see that the desires of this world are opposite to what the desires of the Lord are, it becomes even more clear to us. As John Calvin says, and I know you didn't think you're going to get out of this about me mentioning Calvin because I have to quote Calvin. He's, he's my favorite author. He says, but the meaning amounts to this, that God will never forsake us if we keep the door open to receiving his grace. Anything is possible to the one who believes. But the one who believes asks for what God supplies readily. This means that we ought to be earnestly praying and asking God to transform our hearts, to give us the mind of Christ with this faith that God readily supplies, we will find we have the power to weather even the most difficult things we have ever done because our Lord Jesus understands us, identifies with us, and gives us the strength, the faith, the patience, the peace, 
to do so. And when we recognize that these things come from our weakness, we will find that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. My conclusion this morning, I hope, is helpful for you that Jesus delivers those in need and gives faith to those who need more. Jesus does not desert us. In fact, even when he goes to heaven ultimately and his glory is clearly seen again by his disciples as he ascends into the clouds that is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says to them, I will not leave you alone, but I send another, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit who will never leave you or forsake you. When we struggle in this life, we find God's answering us. God answers us readily through his word with reassurance and grace and directs us the way we ought to pray for our good and his glory. He gives us what we need, exactly what we need when we ask earnestly. If it is faith, he gives faith. If we struggle to submit ourselves to his will, he guides us on the path of righteousness. If it is deliverance from sin, he supplies grace without measure. If he brings us to the end of ourselves and shows us how we must repent, how I must repent, how I have wronged other people, and I readily repent and seek reconciliation, and am seeking reconciliation even now, he shows us our weakness. And again, shows us how his power is made perfect in the midst of it. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for giving us your son, precious lamb of God, none other than the Lord Jesus. Thank you that when we are in the midst of our darkest and most difficult times, as this man was, we will find ultimate deliverance and peace in the face of difficulty because Jesus Christ has accomplished a way forward for his people through his own body and blood. God, we ask that as we go from here, we might live lives of emboldened faith and where there is no faith, God, that we would pray and ask for more. God, strengthen us. Keep us. Cause your face to shine upon us. In Jesus' name.